You are now listening to a Providence Community Church podcast. For more information, please visit ProvidenceTX.org. In John chapter 8, starting um, in verse 31. Providence, hear the word of the Lord. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never enslaved have never been enslaved to anyone. How is that how is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you will do, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me of whom you say he is our God, but you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. So they pick up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'll be seated. Good morning. You guys give a hand clap to Jenna. I'm getting through 28 verses. I think people get used to me being the ones that require that. And here's why I'll defend myself. I want to make sure that we're getting the context of the whole passage. I really wanted us to get to verse 58, clearly. Uh, but I wanted to make sure we get the whole context of the passage. And so what ends up happening is I make our host read like whole chapters and things like that. But it's good for all of us. Amen. It's good. <clears throat> 
Now, I know as you're probably listening to that, you're like, Court, it's Advent season. You take a week off and you come back and decide to talk about this verse, which is intense. You know, it's Christmas season. Maybe be a little more jolly. And we're going to get to the jolly part. I listened to Corey's sermon, and I want to agree with him. In order for us to get to the jolly part, we got we got to understand uh, what was happening, what has been happening in human history. The darkness is kind of the backdrop of the canvas so that you can actually paint the bright colors on t- onto that canvas. And so unless you have that backdrop, nothing looks bright. It all just kind of looks miraged. And so we're going to try to get through that this morning. For those of you who are guests, my name is Cord. I'm one of the pastors of the church. We're glad you're here. Merry Christmas to you. We hope that you enjoy this Advent season. As Corey mentioned, this year we worked through the book of Exodus, and so we wanted to do an Advent series that paired well with our Old Testament theme uh, of this year and show how the Old Testament patriarchs are types and shadows of what is to come in Christ, but that Christ is the true and better fulfillment of those Old Testament shadows. And so uh, last week, Corey focused on Adam. This morning, my focus is going to be on Christ being the true and better Abraham and how Christ is the fulfillment of the patriarch Abraham. And the reason that we read John chapter number 8, as you can see, is that this dialogue between Jesus and the Jews and the Pharisees in particular leads Jesus to revealing himself, not merely as the true and better Abraham, but that he was the king that came from the lineage of Abraham and then says, before Abraham was, I am. Now, we just went through Exodus, so we know, oh, that's not just a typo. That's not Jesus needing to be hooked on phonics. He's saying, as, as God told Moses through the burning bush, I am who I am, Moses, or I am that I am, Moses. And Jesus is saying before Abraham was, I am. So he's one with the Father. Now, before we jump in, my focus this morning is to answer just a, a few questions, or maybe in a few ways, one question, which is, in what ways particularly do we see Jesus as the true and better fulfillment of who Abraham was in the Old Covenant. Because Abraham, obviously, you can see in this passage, is a major player, particularly for the Jews at the time. They hinged in all of their hopes on the fact that they were ethnically born as Abraham's children. And so that's kind of a big deal. If your entire salvation order, your entire idea of what's to come and what's to come for you in particular is good only on the basis of who your great-great-great-great-great-grandfather is, and that was true for the Jews here. And of course, Jesus challenges that by saying that they didn't need merely to be ethnically Jewish or ethnically conceived of Abraham's seed, but that they needed to abide in him, and that it was faith in Jesus ultimately that would free them, and that they were in fact enslaved to sin. So I want to talk about in what way is Jesus the true and better Abraham? And before I do I just want to pray for us and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us through his word. So if you'll bow your heads, I'll pray for us. Father, we're so very grateful this Advent season that we can be certain that you have sent your one and only son and that his arrival onto the earth over 2,000 years ago changed everything. We're thankful that we can be certain that your word has preserved the truth for us and that we not only can learn and grow, but that most importantly, the seed of the word can be sown in our hearts and produce the 30, 60, 100-fold harvest. As you bring us to life again, we're grateful, my God, that that's true, that we are hidden in Christ and that if he lives, then we will live with him. And secondarily, Father, we thank you that 
Because we're certain of his first coming, we can be certain that he surely will come again. He will not leave us as orphans, but he'll return because as we stand, as we sit, as we're in this room together, Lord, we're confident that he's preparing a place. And so we ask now, Holy Spirit, as we open up your word, speak to us as we so desperately need, both corporately and individually. Give us all that we need that we might have our faith fanned into flame that we might be strengthened and comforted, all the various needs of each of us. We ask these things in Jesus' good name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn me to Genesis 17. I want to read uh, two passages in Genesis, which are the calling of Abraham. What you'll find is that uh, Abraham, which is referred to as Abram in the beginning of Genesis chapter 12, and then God gives him a name change, which happens often in not just the Old Testament, but in the scriptures themselves, um, but, but Abraham has something unique. There's these uh, various different moments where God reconfirms to Abram or to Abraham his covenant with him. So Genesis chapter 12 is his original call. And then later in the chapter, God's going to come and speak again and tell him this is what the covenant's about. And then you're going to see in chapter number 14, it's going to happen again. And then chapter number 17, it's going to happen again. And God's reconfirming to Abraham, hey, you didn't just have a one-off dream. I am calling you. You know, this is not something that you need to pass off. He confirms to Abraham, even though you're not having children, don't worry. I know you're very old. You think that this promise I gave you is not coming to fulfillment. It will come to fulfillment. And I want to read those because they give us each of these layers of these callings or these confirmings of the covenant confirmations. They give us another layer of who Abraham was meant to be, who Abraham was called to be. And it's important for us to know that so that we can understand who Jesus is, because Abraham is a version, a type, a shadow, an imperfect model of what Christ will ultimately come to be. So I want to read Genesis chapter 17. I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. This is one that's later on. We'll go backwards to Genesis 12 next. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram. Here's the name change, but your name shall be Abraham, the Abraham, you know, the, the, the suffix here is important for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations and I'll make you exceedingly fruitful and I'll make you into nations. Listen to this. And kings shall come from you. That's plural. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offsprings after you the land of your sojournings. Another line in the the book of Genesis is everywhere your foot will trod, that will be the land that I'll give to you. All the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. Now turn with me back uh, just a few chapters, Genesis chapter number 12, and I want to read verses 1 through 3. This is the original calling of Abram. So remember where we are in the biblical narrative. This is just following the table of nations after the flood, after the Tower of Babel. God splits the nations in different languages. They scatter abroad throughout the whole earth. And God says, but I will choose one guy and he'll be the leader of my nation. 
We talked about this throughout Exodus. All the other nations are going to have their own pagan demonic gods that they're going to end up worshiping. So Egypt becomes kind of an empire of this later. But God says, I'm going to choose Abraham. I'm going to reveal myself to him and I'm going to create a nation for myself. And that it's going to be through that nation, you're going to see this in a minute, that all the nations I'm going to bring back to me. That's God's original plan and intent. So let's read 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Here it is. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and I'll make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. Key line here. And in you, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, many times what people think is that Jesus' words in John chapter 8, when he's telling them that ethnic identity will not be the primary, that Jesus is changing something. He's not. He's revealing something that has been. God's intent through Israel was that all the families of the earth should be blessed from chapter 12. And before that, okay, we see this in the first gospel given to us in Genesis 3. The words were, the words were given to Eve that the head of the serpent would be crushed and that there would be a savior whose heel was bruised, the seed of a woman. And that that would be the redeeming quality that was given to the savior for the sake of Adam's seed, which were all children of Adam and Eve. But we think that Jesus shows up and, and he begins to change things. He's changing Judaism into Christianity. And this is just false. What happens with Jesus is he's pointing back to what has always been. God's intent was that all the nations, all the families of the earth, would ultimately be brought back to him through his son, his Messiah, through Christ. And this was Israel's purpose. Israel's purpose was to be a light to the nations, right? They were supposed to be this great nation that was a light to all the nations that would draw people in to them. Now you see later that Jesus is going to give his disciples this same calling and say, you are, a, you are the light of the world. A lamp that is uh, hid un- who hides their lamp under a bushel a city on a hill shall not be hidden. He says, that's who you are. So he's giving this parallel. It's not a replacement, okay? It's what has always been. Israel was Israel, not because of birth, but because of faith. Romans tells us that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. It was believing God that was the key. We know this because the Bible even has whole books like let's say the book of Ruth and she's not a, she is not a Jewish woman. She was a Moabite woman who was welcomed into the fold. Why? Through faith. And who is she? The great grandmom of David. Okay. So this is what's happening throughout the scriptures. I want to read to you and why this is important. Luke chapter number two. And we're going to be going back and forth Old and New Testament so that we can clearly see the parallels. But let's do Luke chapter number two. This is uh, one of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, one of the gospels records of Jesus's birth. Luke chapter number two, I'm going to start in verse eight. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone all around them. And they were filled with great fear. There's about to be an announcement. And the angel said to them, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, now here's their song, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. 
Now I want to focus in on two major points that the angels are giving here in their announcement. First is that they say the birth of Jesus, now this should perk our ears up because we're in Advent, the birth of Jesus is good news of great joy for the Jews. No. For all the people, all the people, and in case you're wondering who all the people are, because you could say, well, the people would be God's people. Well, that's true. But then the second line, all the angels say, peace on earth, all the earth, for, with those with whom God is pleased. Well, who is God pleased with? Those who believe. That's what the Hebrew says, that we can't please God unless we believe that he exists. Faith is the way that we please God. The angels are literally announcing that Jesus' birth extends beyond just the Jewish boundaries. If you ever wondered why Jesus was born when he was born, Rome was the greatest empire of the world at the time. They had their tentacles reached out almost all across the whole earth. That's why it says that when the census came out and Mary and Joseph had to go all the way back to Bethlehem because they had to be registered, it says the whole world had to be registered. Jesus shows up in that empire to say that he's the king, not just of Jerusalem, not just of Judea, not Nazareth, not Samaria, the ends of the earth. He's the, he's the king. And it's good news for everyone. So if that's Abram's message, I want to say, if Abram's message from God was that he would be the father of many nations and that through him, the nations of the earth would be blessed, Jesus is the fulfillment of that. And that it's through Christ that all the nations of the earth are truly blessed. Because now it's no longer that we have to be in the bloodline of Abraham, but through the shed blood of Christ, we have a new bloodline. And it's in the bloodline of Christ that you and I are in his family, adopted into God the Father's family, so that Jesus could be confident enough in John chapter number eight to confront the Jews and say, you are not of my father, because if you were, then you would hear my voice by faith, but you are of your father, the devil. Meaning that all of us could have different ethnic backgrounds, but it does not matter because the real key factor is whether or not we believe in the Son of God. That's the key. Now, it also tells us something. What is the aim of the gospel? What kind of people is God after? Well, according to the scriptures, God's after all the nations, all kinds of people, everywhere. You've never seen a person that God is uninterested in speaking the word to and sharing the gospel with every tribe every nation every tongue the book of revelation shows us that there's a worship session that happens around the throne in the end and everybody's represented from every part of the world christ's desire is that all would hear the gospel and be saved we see that in first timothy and christmas is the announcement of the king's arrival Corey said this last week advent literally means arrival christmas is the announcement of the king's arrival and the shepherds are told to go out and herald it. The angels come and herald it and share it. Christmas is the announcement of good news, great joy for all the people that it's in the life, the birth, life, death, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus that everyone, whosoever will believe, can be reconciled to God and we should share it far and wide. Now, we live in a time that seeks to relativize almost everything. Truth is almost impossible in our culture because ultimately all the issues have been placed into the basket of opinion. It's why we hear things like, well, you know, this is just my truth. What's good for you is good for you. What's good for me is good for me. So just kind of, you know, as long as you're not crossing over the boundaries into my truth and we can kind of coexist. Now, the problem with this is it runs directly contrary to scripture 
and particularly to the God who created us as he's revealed himself to us. The category for issues that are as serious as who is Jesus cannot be placed in the same category as a question as trite as which sports team is best. (laughs) And yet we live in a culture that has done that seamlessly, like those are the same things. Done a wonderful job cramming this ideology down your throat so much so that you probably hear that and say, well, why not? And I'll tell you why. If you claim that something as fundamental as the gospel is a universal truth, in our culture, you will be shouted down as insensitive, bigoted, intolerant, maybe even evil. Interestingly, it's gone so far that we have become far more accepting of people debating about meaningless issues like which sports team is best than debating about something as serious as who is Jesus, what did he do, are his claims meaningful When we turn on our television, if you don't believe me, what debate shows do you see? It's the trite ones. And if we dared actually talk about the bigger questions, no network would carry it. This many would carry it, even your favorite one. They have to have no interest. Now, I have to say this because I think this is what this text and these texts lead us to, but I refuse to go along with that idea because Not because I'm uniquely special or brave, but because I cannot go along with it. I can't help but, like Paul say, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel, not as merely an opinion, but as a proclamation. If my preaching of the gospel doesn't mirror the heralding of the angels, the angels didn't show up and say, it may be good news for you. Maybe choose, figure it out, debate it. No, this is good news. It is what it is. It's factual. The gospel is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. There is no name under heaven by which man can be saved but the name of Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible tells us. That is not merely what the Bible says. It is experientially true. Now, I don't come to you this morning with a neutered gospel of maybe or a neutered gospel of relative truth that may or may not work based on the variety of personal factors in your life that I couldn't possibly dissect if I tried, the various different categories that our culture tries to break us up into. No, I come to you with the good news of Jesus Christ that is relevant to you, period. The good news that Jesus is the true and better Abraham who came to shed his own blood to save whosoever would believe in him from imminent death and hell. And so I I start with this. If Jesus is the true and better Abraham, and I believe that he is, then friends, do not be ashamed of the gospel, as Paul said. Woe to me if I'm ashamed of the gospel. One of my favorite Christmas hymns, listen to this line. We sing it all the time, but if you think about it in light of the scriptures, it says, long lay the world in sin and error pining. So long lay the world, how long? I don't know, maybe 4,000 years. In sin and error, transgression and sin, pining, pining for what? Release from bondage. That's what Jesus was saying to the Jews. I can free you. They said, we're already free. We're children of Abraham. He says, no, you're a slave. And unless you believe in me, you'll continue to be a slave. 
Well, no, Moses took us out of Egypt. No, you're not out of Egypt. You may have physically gotten out of Egypt, but we go right back. You know, like that meme on the internet where that, that shepherd pulls that sheep out of the, the ditch, you know what I'm talking about? And then he immediately boom, 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 and jumps right back in. That's us. Jesus says, I can free you. I'm the good shepherd and I'll keep you out for good. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. That's coming to life. The soul doesn't feel its worth until the way, the truth, and the life shows up to bring life back to the soul. And then here's the line, fall on your knees, hear the angels' voices. What are they singing? Oh, night divine, Christ is born. That's Advent. You see, Advent is not merely a time where we are looking for warm, fuzzy feelings. Advent is a proclamation of when the world changed forever. And if you're a Christian in the room, Advent should be a reminder to you of your rebirth, that when you met King Jesus, your world changed forever. What else do we see? In Genesis 17, we see that Abraham was told that he would be the beginning of a line of kings. I want to read Matthew chapter, <clears throat> excuse me, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. This is a second reading of Jesus' birth in the synoptics. This is just another rendition of the same story. I love that we have these because they tell us different facets of what was happening at the time of Jesus' birth. Matthew chapter number 2, <clears throat> starting in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. Astrologers from the east come and say, hey, we know, because our prophets have told us for many, many years that when this star rises, a king's going to be born. We're here to figure out who's the king of the Jews. Listen to what Herod says. When Herod the king heard this, he was greatly troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all of the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So now he's interested. The ones who were supposed to be looking for their Messiah weren't looking for their Messiah, but now they find out that maybe this is going to be a king. The king's nervous. He's not excited. He's nervous he's about to be supplanted. Now watch this. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for it's written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will, who will shepherd my people Israel. Not coincidentally, the ruler of the king's also called a shepherd because he's born in the city of David, who was a shepherd king, right? Isaiah chapter 9, I want to read verses 2 through 7. This is a prophecy about Jesus' birth, and this just tells us one more facet of his kingship. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 7. This is a famous, uh, this is a famous section of verses, by the way. It, some of our Christmas songs have this. In fact, one of the ones we just sang have the words from Isaiah. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. Think of Abraham. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you. As with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden, his, this is talking about someone, and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle, Tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born, and to us, a son is given. And the government, here's kingly talk, shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful 
counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Here's another one. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. Jesus is the king that came from the lineage of Abraham. And then as we saw in John chapter eight, but he preceded Abraham. This is why he's the true and better Abraham. He's the king, the final king, because we know that it's through Abraham that David comes, Solomon comes, okay? But Jesus is the one who not only comes from his lineage, but then goes on to say, and your father Abraham saw my day and was glad because before he was, I'm there. Kings and kingdoms have always been this way. Politics has always been this way. Kings and kingdoms rise and fall. There's rumors of wars and wars. Today we live in an era of a political resurgence of sorts. Now, it, this is not something new. These come in cycles. The 20th century was a time that began the same way that our century is beginning. Cultures and peoples were going through an era of discontent. And when people go through times of discontent and crisis, human beings look for someone to step in, someone to settle things down, someone to step in and bring order to the chaos. This always happens. This happens in a microcosm in your own home, and it happens in nations. The result of the 20th century was the rise of things like the Bolsheviks in the Soviet Union, the rise of Nazism in the Third Reich, the rise of Mao Zedong in China and the Chinese Communist Party. Hundreds of millions of people were killed as a result of this, brutally. You can read the history books. I will tell you, you were never read some of the things that happened to people in the 20th century, not even in college. It's grotesque. And this all happened because different forms of tyranny different forms of tyrants would fill the seat of the savior and form government. We're in a similar predicament today. Chaos envelops the globe. People are discontent. People are afraid. No one knows who to trust. Plagues and rumors of plagues, wars, rumors of wars. And the God of this world rubs his hands together, eager to provide the savior when you're willing. But it will not be the one that you think. And yet, if you ever wondered why Christmas is always on the chopping block in many cultures, Christmas is the story that the Savior's already appeared. You don't have to look for a new one. He already arrived. That's what Christmas is. It's a yearly celebration that we have a king and he's good. We have a king and he rules and reigns. We have a king and he has the authority. He arrived 2,000 years ago under a despotic, tyrannical regime in Rome, and he had one message. Jesus' message was not, the kingdom of God is coming. He says, the kingdom of God is at hand, meaning I'm the king and I'm here. Now, why do I say all these things? Well, Christmas is the arrival of the king, a heralding of the gospel, and that gospel message is that all people are Christ's. He claims authority over all the nations. Now, there will be a dividing line as to whether or not you receive the rule of Christ gladly or bow unwillingly, but bow nonetheless, we all will. Jesus claims authority over all the nations and the continuity of his kingdom includes every people, every tribe, every nation, every tongue. This was true at the Great Commission when Jesus said, all authority 
in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. So now go and make disciples of all nations. On what basis, Jesus? Because the nations are mine. Now the question is, as Christians, are we able to see this vision of Christ as the king over all the nations? Do we believe that Christ's kingdom is not only advancing on the gates of hell, but that it cannot be stopped? It cannot be defeated. It cannot be destroyed. The kingdom of our Christ is an everlasting kingdom. He will reign forever and ever. I ask you this morning, do you long for the final fulfillment of this vision? Because I do. Christmas is not merely the arrival of our king, but a king whose kingdom has no end. That's what Isaiah said. The increase of his government will have no end. There is no facet of human society where Christ does not ultimately lay his claim on. Therefore, the question we must ask is, is there any place that a Christian should then check their values at the door? Like your culture tells you to. Is there any place that a Christian should hide your lamp under the bushel because, well, this isn't the place for it? Or is Christ the king over every square inch of the earth? You know, we're Americans, so we do reject tyranny pretty well. But I want to remind you, Americans, we don't reject tyranny because we don't need a king. You do. We reject tyranny because we already have one. (laughs) And he's a good king. He's the true and better David. We don't speak boldly because we're unafraid of the consequences. Because if we're honest, you should probably have a little jitter about the consequences that there's a evil Little G God roaming around the earth, seeking whom he may devour, (laughs) a demon. No, we speak boldly because we fear God who has saved us and sent his only son, and I would not bow before a lesser king if I am in the service to the greater king. Far be it for me to be ashamed of Christ. Every opportunity, and I want to say this personally, every opportunity that Christ has been given by me to be ashamed of me, and I have given him many, He has never chosen to be ashamed, to be called my God. Far be it from me that I would be ashamed to call him mine. How can I pretend as though I have any reason to be ashamed of Christ? (laughs) No, it goes the other way around. It is precisely our duty in times like this, times of great chaos, times of great uncertainty, sorrow, to stand boldly on the hope of the gospel and to plead with each other, to remind each other, to plead with our neighbors. Don't buy into the lie that any institution or any man or any political party can be your savior. There is one hope of the world. His name is Jesus. And he has come and he is coming. That's what Advent's about. He has arrived and he will arrive again. He currently sits at the right hand of God with all the authority in heaven and on earth. We must tell each other and we must tell everyone whom will hear about the true and better Abraham who died and rose to claim this authority over all the nations because he alone will save us from the tribulations of this world. Do you know why? Well, the book of John tells us because he's the only one who's overcome the world. Doesn't say that we're not gonna have them. Doesn't say we're not gonna have hardship, but he alone will be the one to save us finally from them because he alone has overcome the world. Here's another hymn for you. This morning we sang it, Enjoy to the World. Listen to the lines of joy to the world in light of the scripture. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. 
<laughs> we sing that chipper, you know, we've listened to the chipmunk version of that. It is deeply rooted in scripture. I want to read it to you again. He, Christ, rules the world with truth and grace. And he makes the nations prove. All the nations will ultimately prove what? The glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. That's Advent. That's what we're sharing. That's what we're preaching. That's what we're seeking imperfectly to live out is the reality of our king. Okay, the last thing, I want to read Genesis chapter 17, verse 8, and then I'm going to close with one last thought. In Genesis 17, verse 8, we get the picture that God gives unto Abraham about where he's going, the ultimate fulfillment of where he's headed, that not only is he going to be a sojourner, but that it's through his lineage that there's going to be a whole people group, and that people group are going to be given a place. So let's read Genesis 17, verse number eight. He says, and I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So it's not merely that they're going to be in covenant with God, but that God has an abode for them. God has a place for them. God has a, if you've ever gone through Bible studies, a promised land. Well, for the Christian Oftentimes what we'll do with this is we'll kind of toss it aside because like, well, that was for the Jews and, you know, that's not for us. And, but here's what I'll say. In John chapter number 14, I wish I had time to go there. Jesus specifically says to his disciples, I'm leaving you now, but I will not leave you as orphans. I go now to my father and I'm going to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, why would I say that it were so? For in my father's house, there are many rooms. Jesus particularly tells his disciples that he not only is saving them from sin and the tyranny of death, but he has a place for them, an abode for them, that he's preparing so that when he arrives this second time, he's got a place where we will dwell forever with him. To see Jesus is to see the true nature and character, the essence of the Father. Jesus tells Philip this. They are of one essence. Their intention is the same. Their desire is the same. Their will is the same. And their will is to prepare a place that they might live with us forever. C.S. Lewis has this famous quote. He says, if there exists in me a desire for which this world has no fulfillment, it must mean that I was made for another world. <laughs> That's a wonderful line. In other words, he's saying, if there is something within me that exists, that desires a there, that there is no there there, there must be a there somewhere. <laughs> Christmas is the closest that we get all year to something like this. Now, some of you, I know you have the blue Christmas like Elvis. Okay, I get it. But hear me on this. If you can, just turn a switch in your mind and say, what it's meant to be is something that we all desire, even if we don't get it. Home, a sense of home, belonging, family. Now, some of you are like, I have a dysfunctional family. It's like, me too. But if it wasn't dysfunctional... <laughs> If a brother was like a brother and a sister was like a sister and a mom was like a mom and a dad was like, and they were all there and everybody, you know, was around. Like the Cratchit family, even if you didn't have a lot of money, you had each other. Tiny Tim, even if he can't walk very good, he's got, you know, the heart of a lion. There's warmth, there's gratitude, there's generosity in the time of Christmas. Hope, even against the odds. There's joy, laughter, community. And yet every Christmas, you know the feeling that happens after December 25th and it's that, it's over, 
and now real life starts. You know what immediately we start doing is making plans for how we're going to be better on January 1st. It's like there's a sense of like, man, this is great, how great it is. And then the next week is you thinking about how not great you are. How fat you are, how lazy you are, how you wish you could be better, better husband, better wife, better parent, how your kids, you wish they would stop getting in trouble. And then you think about how bad you are as a parent and why they get in trouble. It's probably because of you, you know. So now you're just working, getting by in 17 books you're going to read on January 1st. And you're going to get through the first half of the, you know, first book. And then the rest of them are going to find their way onto the bookshelf that make you look like you really focused on being a parent. But in reality, parenting took over and you couldn't do it anymore. You're like, you had to take them to all those sports things. And What is that? It's because we know that there's something there that we long for, but we miss it. And we know that we're not there yet. Well, Christmas is the announcement that Christ has arrived and he will arrive again. One day he will return and with him all the realities of the new heavens and the new earth. He will ultimately restore the creation itself. We will be ushered into a new age, one where the knowledge of the glory of the Lord covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. And so this Advent season, I want to end with this. I invite you, I implore you to receive the gift of the true and better Abraham. The offer of Jesus is one of life today and forever. That's what Advent's really about. I give you life and life abundantly today and eternally. It's not a promise you will not suffer. It's a promise that you will not suffer in vain. It's a promise that you will not suffer without hope. And particularly if you don't, if you're not sure that you're a Christian this morning, I pray you will receive the truth of the gospel, which is Jesus will do, has done, what you could never do. And he gives to you the offer of freedom for free at great cost to himself. And Christians, if you are a believer this morning, I pray that this Advent season, you would be bolder than ever to share the good news of Jesus Christ. There is a lot of people in the world that are looking for something. And yet if they go to any other functional savior, it will betray them. But we know that Christ brings life. So share it with them. Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence amongst us. Father, we're so grateful that you've given us the gift that we sense your presence here with us. And as we get ready to take communion, we can be sure that you will sustain us this Christmas. You will sustain us this month. I pray for those who are mourning a death of a loved one, someone who's not going to be at the dinner table this year. And I pray, God, that you would be their comfort. You would be their peace. I pray for those who are looking forward to this season with their children, the gifts they've already given. I pray, my God, would you help them to see the greatest gift so that they might be sharers of that gift, both with their children and their neighbors. But most of all, help us, my God. May we not be ashamed of the gospel. Let us leave out of here more than ever bold, encouraged, knowing that you are who you say that you are, Jesus. We love you and we ask these things in your precious name. Amen.